a little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who didn't have a stroke at midnight. I'm ahead of the game. Hello and welcome back to The Smut Drop. This is your weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be ringing in the new year by seeing what resolutions couples should be making with each other, talking to Anita Astley about how we can start our year by unfucking our life and seeing what smut-filled resolutions you've got for 2023. And I hope you're ready, because I'm about to ring your bell. Welcome back, dearest listeners. How was your holiday? How was it? Have you recovered? Are you making lots of resolutions? After all, new year, new you, right? Right. Oh, oh my God. Give me a break. All those good intentions. And you know what? I'm the same. I do it too. I've promised myself that I'm going to double down, getting lots of work done. But I've basically just been watching terrible reality TV shows since we last spoke. But you know, (laughs) do as I say, not as I do and all that, which is why I've been looking around Metro for some good advice on how we can get our new year off to a good start. I found an article on metro.co.uk with New Year's resolutions couples should make for happier relationships. And this is where sex and relationships experts have recommended resolutions that all couples can adopt. So let's start with the first one. Annabelle Knight, uh, she's the sex and relationships expert for Love Honey, friend of show. She says, put a couple of hours aside each week and book an appointment for sex. And I think this is such a great idea because it gives you the mentality to put away all those mundane chores and just not think about them. And yeah, we all lead busy lives where we're juggling a million things and far too often more mundane life chores take priority over sex. And she also says that we're embarrassed to schedule sex because it feels too clinical. And there's this perception amplified by movies and romance novels that the best sex is spontaneous. And actually, the best sex is just it's just where you're doing it, where you're happy and it's and it's all going really well. So, yeah, take some time, schedule it in, put it on your Google calendar, take two hours from your life and make sure that that is where you can connect and get together. The next one is to tweak your emotional climate. So psychotherapist Noel McDermott suggests reflecting on questions such as what is the tone of your relationship? How do you speak to each other? And he says to aim for an emotional tone in your relationship that's based on love and not anger. Some conflict is inevitable, but it should not be the main feeling in a healthy relationship. Oh, this is such good advice. Who else has been stuck in a house with a couple who have been bickering all over Christmas? And you just think that can't be healthy. I know it's a stressful time for everyone, but... You know, sometimes I look at some friends and I'm like, you two are both saying the same thing, but you're saying it so differently and in such a different tone that this has now become an argument. So, yes, I am with you. 
The next tip is to stay playful. Again, Noel says to keep the spark. Sex is important and one of the unique boundaries of our love relationships. So feel free to explore and play. And remember that good communication with your partner in the bedroom is key to a healthy, exciting partnership. Fourth on the list is accept your partner. Now, this might seem a bit simple. After all, they're your partner, so of course you're accepting them. But this is Noel saying you need to stop trying to change your partner. Either love and accept them for who they are or cut ties and move on. Forgiveness. This is the key skill that most folk forget about in relationship skills, says Noel. We forgive people because we want them in our lives. Another way of thinking about it is tolerance and acceptance. We need to accept the people who we love for who they are and not who we say they should be. And learn conflict skills. Oh, this is really important. Pledge to having another disagreement isn't a realistic goal. Instead, you need to make some time to learn how to argue better. And this is such a good one. And we're going to learn a lot from this week's guest about this. But Noel also says, don't be afraid of conflict because it is important to be able to establish boundaries. Such wise words. Clear communication of concern is needed to make a relationship work. There are more great tips over at metro.co.uk and I know you're going to get even more great advice from this week's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, new year, new starts, new you. January always brings a plethora of promises we make to ourselves, but sometimes the New Year's resolutions can feel like sticking plasters on an open wound. So I wanted to find out how we can move forward in a more meaningful way rather than just promising to give up the stiggies. Fortunately, this week's guest is helping people to build healthy relationships with ourselves and other people from the inside out. She's a psychotherapist, relationship expert and author of How to Unfuck Your Life and Relationships. It's Anita Astley. Hello, Anita. Hi, thank you so much for having me on, especially the first of the year that, you know, new year, new resolutions and new thoughts and ideas on how to unfuck ourselves completely from the inside out. Yes, <laughs> Is this a good time to do it? Is like New Year the, a good time for you? It's the perfect time. You know, well, there's no, every day is a good day to unfuck our lives from the inside out. But New Year's is, a, you know, a great time. I do love the New Year's. Some people, you know, poo-poo all that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, it is absolutely the perfect time to reflect on the past year to see how things got really fucked up and how you want to unfuck yourself from the inside out. People ask me about this book. You know, what is this book about? They like the title. It's attractive. And they're like, are you trying to just get attention here? I'm like, no. Uh, first of all, unfuck and fuck, one of my favorite words. I use them in contact. <laughs> use it in context is important. But the book is really about my life and how, you know, I had a pretty fucked up life. And uh, in the last 25 years, years I've helped other people unfuck their life and I you know and it came from originally the the feelings and the thoughts and ideas of from my patients who you know look at me on a day-to-day -day basis and they say you know how are you going to empathize with my issues you, you you look like you got your shit together <laughs> and I'll say listen honey if you knew me 30 years ago I was pretty fucked up and uh, it took a lot for me to unfuck myself through therapy through different things that I did in my life and that's why I wrote the book People, I may, you know, people are making themselves vulnerable 
to me in my office every on a daily basis. And this book, I put it all out there to say, listen, my life was pretty fucked up. I got some help. I unfucked it. Here are some of the stories of my life that were pretty fucked up. And these stories are pretty intimate. So it's it's my story. And then I share seven concrete prescriptions that I think everyone needs to incorporate in their life to get back to the basics of love and life. We've kind of lost our way in the in, you know, in this technologically advanced world, which I love. I love technology, but I th- really think we need to get back to some basics, which are kind of lost. Let's go back. What is it? What kind of things have you been through to make you go, right, I need to stop and I need to to unfuck this? Well, I think for myself and for most people, having, you know, listened to people's narratives, it does start mm. with our family of origin. And once you leave, you move out or whatever your circumstances are, once you escape your parents, uh, you, we, we carry all that stuff into our relationships with other people and not necessarily romantic relationships, but just relationships in general. And then, mm. you know, once I left home and the story of me leaving home is, is quite a traumatic story because I grew up in an Indian household. And I don't know if you guys know much about the Indian culture. You don't leave home until you're married, especially if you're a girl. And generally, mm. You marriage is arranged. It's a little bit different now, more progressive, but I think the ideas are still the same in terms of you don't date. And I, so I grew up with this message, you don't date, you just marry. And growing up in Montreal, Canada, I had a problem with that because I wanted to be part of mainstream culture. I just wanted to be like everyone else. And then my dad said, no, 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 be the nice little Indian girl. You're from India. Indian girls don't do that. So it was a complete shit show. I left home and you know, had all kinds of ramifications because of that. I was ostracized by the Indian community. And you know, when you're 16 years old and you're trying to find your way and you don't have much money, <laughs> it's a good thing I had some mm-hmm. friends who were very supportive. That took me down a path of, uh, not a destructive path, which I'm really happy with. I worked, I had a very strong work ethic. I worked, I put myself through school and there's so much in between that happened. But I wanna say that I had a blueprint from my parents, from my family, the family of origin. And I carried this blueprint around thinking that it would work in my relationships. And I quickly found out that it doesn't. And I help to I help other people see that now. We all have a blueprint that we're operating on about ourselves, about the world, through our you know our value system, our belief system about ourselves and the world. And then we quickly learn. Hopefully, you know, and somewhere along the way, there, there's some intervention that some of this shit doesn't work, and we have to rewrite that script. We have to tweak it. So some of the things you're you're to be exact with your question is I've worked really hard on my cultural identity issues. I grew up in an Indian household, but I lived in Montreal, Canada. My parents wanted me to be Indian. I wanted to be like everyone else. So there was a clash of cultures. And th- that can work at times if the values of the both cultures are compatible, but when they're not, it completely fucks with your mind. So I was one of those girls who'd go into the, the bathroom and change my clothes, put a lot of makeup on, tease my hair, <laughs> you know, because I couldn't be that at home. So really I lived, you know, from eight to three, I was one, you know, I had one identity, but then three to, you know, when I went to back to school the next day, I had a different identity and it was really hard trying to figure out who the hell I really was because I had my parents telling me be this way, particularly my dad, and then going to school and my friends saying be this way. And, you know, the peer group is so important. It is our our, our primary group of socialization once we uh, go out into the world. And I just wanted to be like everybody else, but I wasn't like everybody else. And my struggles were very different 
uh, to my friends and they, they often they couldn't relate to that. So there was a lot of unfucking of all of that, the cultural clashes that was going on inside of me, which I carried actually into my uh, later adulthood. I mean, no wonder, no wonder you had to write this book. <laughs> Well, no wonder I became a therapist. You know, I, I used to think, hey, I just kind of fell into this profession. And looking back, and if, you know, you guys are interested in buying the book and reading it about my life, I was always a therapist. Now I just, you know, I, I, I was talking to somebody about it in the midst of writing this book. I said, hey, um, my dad used to call me a shit disturber. And I am a shit disturber, except for now I just get paid to disturb people's shit. <laughs> But I am literally the middle child. I have, you know, I have two brothers, baby brother, older brother. I was always in the middle of their shit. And then my mom always told me about all the stuff that was going on between her and my dad. So I was always that the therapist in between them. And I think, you know, I'll, I was a therapist all along. I just, you know, now I have my license <laughs> to do therapy with people. Let's do it. Let's get into it, Anita. Let's... How can we start? What is one of your first concrete prescriptions on how we can start unfucking our, our lives? Yeah, the first one is self-awareness and self-care. That's why, you know, my tagline is working always from the inside out. And people say, well, what does that mean? It It means that we have to truly know ourselves and we have to engage in introspection that's going to be constructive. So I'm not saying let's just sit there and think about ourselves because there are people who overanalyze everything, and but they overanalyze everybody else, not necessarily themselves. So I say we have to engage in purposeful introspection, meaning thinking about your life, some of the things that you do, the ramifications of those things that you do in your relationships, because it always starts with us. It is so easy to externalize and blame other people. But at the end of the day, we got to own our shit. And if we don't own our shit, guess what happens, Miranda? We end up being uh, passive aggressive. I'm sure you've met those people, right? Mm -hmm. they, they can't <laughs> express their aggression directly. So they couch it under, you know, comments here and there, taking jabs left, right. It's because they are not, they are not comfortable with aggression. Somewhere in their childhood, they've learned that it's not a good thing to express your aggression. Hey, and by, by nature, let me tell you, we are all aggressive human beings. We need to embrace that part of ourselves. The other thing that people do is they project. You know, I, I might say to you, Miranda, uh, you, you look a little angry. Why are you so angry? And you might turn around and say to me, Anita, I am so not angry. I'm so chill right now. But what I'm doing in that situation probably is projecting my anger onto you. Mm. I can't say to you, Miranda, I'm really angry with you because you did this to me yesterday. So what do I do? I pretend it belongs to you. And this is not done intentionally. It's done on a very unconscious level. And I say this, we learned this in our family of origin. And Miranda, we are not blaming our parents. And the book, and I write about that in the book. Is there any kind of exercises you can do? Because it's, it's it, you know, I, it, like aware, having self-awareness can still be quite hard. Like you said, you know, you've got people who've gone all their lives, you know, being passive aggressive. But it, yes. it's, it, you can't, you know, just sit in a dark room and go, right, let's do five minutes of being self-aware. Or can you? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's well, I always say to people, let's start thinking about some of the things that you do. Okay, mm. some of the experience that you've had in your relationships with other people, because one cannot not be in relationships. People say to me, well, I want to read your book or I want to listen to your podcast, but I'm not in a relationship. I said, dude, you totally are. First, it's with yourself and it's with your neighbor. It's the people at work. It's with your family. It's not a r romantic relationships relationship mm. because when we think of relationships we generally jump to the romantic ones so my number one thing to start this wheel of self-awareness is to sit down with yourself which most people don't do because we're constantly doing 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 but we're also doing 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 because we don't want to have that quiet time because guess what we are afraid of our own thoughts and feelings and looking in the mirror so stop find some quiet space think about the relationships that you've had in your life Think about your role in those relationships. It's easy to focus on what the other person might have done, but think about your role and think about some patterns that might be repeated in your relationship. Some people come into my office with a graveyard of relationships. Nothing has worked from the, for them and they blame other people. And I have to stop them and say, listen, it can't be everyone, can it? Yeah. So then it yeah. must be something that's going on with you. If this is you and you can relate to this, you need to sit down and you need to think about your role in those conflicts, in those relationships that didn't work out and look at certain patterns that are going to pop out at you. Cause I guarantee you there are, that's coming to some level of self-awareness to say, Hey, what's going on with me? that I did all these things. Yes, other people can trigger us, poke us, but ultimately we have a choice to react the way we react. Yeah, it's the classic thing of like when you hear someone always say, oh, all my exes are crazy. And it's like, oh, I don't think that's true. Once we've had our moment of self-awareness, what, what can we do next? It is really looking at our thought and emotional process. And what does that really mean? How often do we actually know what we're thinking and feeling? A lot of, I believe a lot of us are driven by our unconscious mind and to bring, and people say, well, how do, how can I become conscious of them if they're unconscious? Well, once we start to break down some of those patterns, some of those uh, events in our history, we can help some of that drip into consciousness and we can own some of the things like I just talked about projection when we don't want to really own what's coming from the inside and we blame somebody else for it when the shit is really ours. So I said, well, own your shit, right? If I'm angry with you, Miranda, I got to realize I'm angry. You're not angry. I have to get comfortable with the emotion of anger. And that take might take a lot of work because when I was growing up, my parents, the message I probably had, if I project a lot is Anita, you can't, you can't express that kind of emotion. It's not acceptable. The other one I mentioned also is being passive aggressive. Oh, it's my mm. least kind of pet peeve when I mean, because when I meet passive aggressive people, I tend to get more, more uh, aggressive myself because I can sense that, they, you know, and they'll deny that. And you've met people like this, I'm sure, Miranda. There is, there is no passive about it. It is all aggression. Yeah. I'm just, you know, butter would not melt in their fucking mouth because they're just so sweet and they just never get angry. Oh. But, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because they cannot express their aggression. Again, they couch it and they make other people uh, want to go for therapy and they agitate everyone else. And it's once we're able to, through self-awareness, own some of those thoughts, own some of those feelings, we can then start to communicate better with other people 
and just be at a place where we are comfortable accepting all aspects of our personality. And I want to say that we need to be healthy emotionally and to have healthy relationships with other people. We need to have an integrated self, meaning don't cut off the angry part of you. Uh, don't cut off the part of you that's very sweet also and loving. We, the, we, are, we are made up of so many different things and we want to have all of that together and, ex and also give yourself permission. And then it's okay to be angry, but it's okay also to be happy. There's so many things that we need to integrate into what I call the integrated self to be happy and healthy in life and play nicely, as I say, with other people in the park. <laughs> well it all sounds like just being well-rounded you can't knock Absolutely. off one emotion and and hope that the others will take over it's it's you know to be a proper human being you have to have all of them yeah but as as you know and I'm sure as you've experienced uh, many people are not they're not comfortable with negative thoughts and negative feelings unless they're spewing it at someone else <laughs> <laughs> love that Absolutely. Um, what would be the next one? What's next on the list, mm, Anita? This is a this is a tough one. <gasps> conflict, conflict. Most people run away from conflict. Stop avoiding and start confronting. Yes. And I'm sure, like out, you know, coming off the holidays, Miranda, I'm sure there was a lot of conflict over like, expectations that were ne not met around gifts, all that kind of stuff. That I I always hear about that in the new year. Oh, I didn't get what yes. I wanted, or I didn't get anything, and the partner will say. Well, you never freaking never told me you wanted any. It's all that game about mind reading. One of the chapters in my book is called Unfuck Mind Reading. It's talking openly and honestly about what we really expect. But people don't want to do that because they're afraid. They want to avoid conflict. But anytime we avoid conflict, we end up actually creating more conflict in the, in the long run. It's a short-term gain, but overall a long-term loss. Conflict is a part of any intimate relationship. It's going to happen. Spend enough time with someone, and guess what? You are going to have conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where do we start bringing that up, though? Because we, I've had so many partners, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are the same, where they're just like, oh, I don't like conflict. I don't like conflict. So how can you, how can you start? Well, you start with just that, internalizing this mantra. I am going to have conflict in, a rela in relationships. Conflict is healthy and it is normal. It is not something that's bad. Think about what a conflict is. It is basically you think one way, I think another way, and those two things are not in sync. And that's okay. Mm. And that's normal because we are not mirror images of the other. You're going to have a different experience of something and I am too. And over time in any relationship, that's going to come up. At the beginning, it's all like best foot forward and all that kind of stuff, you know, superficial. We're trying to get to know each other. It's all formal. But mm. eventually, if this relationship is going to get to the next level, we are going to start being our true self. And when we are true self, we're going to start really expressing what we really think and feel and that's going to clash with our partner healthy and normal so accept the fact that conflict is healthy and normal in relationships embrace that conflict rather than fear it and of course that's that takes work it's not going to happen overnight because you've got to go back to how was i raised with conflict what happened in my family of origin was i encouraged to resolve it was i encouraged to run away from it was i encouraged to repress it what we bring all of that into our current relationships. We've got to unfuck that. But conflict is normal. It is healthy. Embrace it. Be comfortable with it. That's the place to start because most people, like you've said, are afraid of it. They want to push it away. They want to avoid it. But the longer you avoid it, the bigger the problem becomes. 
I totally agree. I am, <laughs> I'm, some might say I'm a bit too much up for a bit of conflict, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's the way you get things settled though, not in a shouty way, but that goes all back to your emotional process. What do you do when you're confronted with conflict? Oh, I run headfirst into it like a bull in a china shop. Like, do I, <laughs> but I, but again, it's all that kind of thing where you have to go back and you have to think of your self awareness and your emotional process rather than having to sit there and be passive aggressive about things. Yes. Like it's it's talk to that person and try to say, well, I'm angry about this, and you know, what are you angry about? I guess I don't know. What's the best way to deal with it? Well, it's, it's, you know, and again, we're adding all of this up and building on the other prescriptions, self-awareness, thought, controlling our thoughts and emotions mm. or knowing what they are, talking to one another. We need to be able to do that and knowing the needs and expectations, not only of ourselves, but our partner when there's a conflict. Yeah, saying, and it's, mm. and it's not going to happen in the middle of the conflict, right? So I teach people, look, you're not going to solve anything while you're fighting, uh, yeah. Take a break, a day off and say, hey, can we talk about what happened yesterday? Because most people don't want to talk about it the next day. They put it away thinking that it's resolved and they walk on eggshells for a while until they get to some kind of balance again. However, that hasn't been resolved. It just, you know, it's another, you know, I, I talk about an emotional table in my book and that's way too long to get into. <laughs> but we put our <laughs> shit there and the shit just piles, piles, piles. And when there is a huge conflict and escalation uh, people are left saying, well, I didn't know what the big deal was. And the other person will say, well, it is a big deal because we've been, you know, all that shit show from last year, we never talk about, we never resolve. We just kind of, you know, push it under the rug and yeah. that doesn't solve anything. We need to be able to embrace it, talk about it, and then come to some kind of resolution, which is, you know, so I talk about c the three C's, conflict, embracement, uh, confronting, and then of course, coming to some kind of resolution. All these things are connected. And if we're going to have healthy relationships with people, we got to be able to work on them and improve them in our life. I really love the fact that these are all interconnected and it's not just like, right, you do step one and then you go on to step two. It's, it's about using them all within each other. Yeah. And they're not in any kind of sequence because, you know, I might be, uh, have a great deal of self-awareness about one aspect of my life. And then five years yeah. later, I'm like, oh my God, I thought I knew myself, but I was in psychoanalysis as part of my training for about six years. I went two times a week. And I remember walking into my therapist's office saying, hey, my life is good. I'm just here because I have to be. And he's like, oh yeah, have a seat. Six years later, <laughs> and even looking back now, I say it was the best experience of my life. I learned so much about myself and then I continue, you know, once in a well, not once in a while. It's a part of who I am. I carry that experience and often go back to it and say, hey, wait a minute. I thought I had fucked up, but oh, my God, here it is again. It's coming out and I've got to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've just got one quick question because your your website is Ask Anita Astley. What is the most common question that you get asked? Thank you for asking that. The most common question is how do I build emotional intimacy with my partner? Emotional intimacy is the foundation of all healthy relationships. And what is really emotional intimacy? It is when we can be completely emotionally naked with the mo the person in our life, our significant other. Most of us fear that. It's when we can be emotionally naked with our thoughts, with our feelings, 
that is the foundation of all healthy long-term relationships. And of course we are, you know, that's the most common thing. I, I'm disconnected from my partner. I don't know how to reconnect anymore. We've been married for 10 years or 15 years or even three mm. years. And I don't know how to get that connection back, especially in a world today where we spend a lot of time texting and being on the phone and social media and all that kind of stuff. It's not really good for uh, building emotional intimacy and relationships overall. So I, the first thing I you know, say to people is, and they often say, well, okay, that's the problem, Anita. You've helped me diagnose that. Thank you. Hello. How do I do this? We need a takeaway, right? I said, we've got to get back to eating together. What I've noticed that people do now, I call it scattered eating versus gathered eating. We mostly scattered eat, and we need to get back to gathered eating. And they're like, what the hell does that mean, Anita? <laughs> and I said, well, okay, think about it, okay? When do you connect with your partner throughout, in, the, in one day, in any given day, when do you connect? And they say, well, we used to eat together, and now, you know, I've got this going on. And people have busy lives. I get that. We're busy being busy. You've got kids and all that kind of stuff kind of fucks it all up. But we need to get back to the basics of gathered eating. When we sit down and when we eat together is when we share our life with the person across from us, with our children, with our family. We did it more years ago, but somehow we're so busy being busy that we scattered eat. And now we need to get back to the table because that is when everything comes out. I'm telling you, you know, when my kids were home, they're older now, I used to say, okay, share something good about your day. Cause you know, they all share something bad. <laughs> How was your day? Mm. And, it, and I had a rule. I said, you're not allowed to use the word good. Good doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. Like, How was your day? Good. So good. <laughs> then yeah. I shifted that yeah. to, and using something open-ended, tell me about your math class today. How did it go? Or, you know, but it allows for conversation to take place. It's a very simple, basic thing to do, but people don't do it. And I think, again, that's another really simple little resolution people can make. Let's do, absolutely. It's, you know, at least do a couple of times a week. We'll do, gather, we'll sit together and whenever you can. Yeah. And I want people to, who are listening today, who are looking to connect with their partner again, Think about when you first meet somebody. Think about when you go on a date. You usually go and do what? Mm -hmm. You go out for dinner. You go out for drinks because you are saying we're going to set this time aside so we can talk to each other. We can look at each other. We can share in the physical experience of being together in the same room. That has That is priceless. So when we're dating, we do that. So why is it that we don't do it with our families, our loved ones later on? We need to get back to that. And get asking those open questions. I love it. <laughs> if people want to find your book and they want to find more information about you, where can they find you? Uh, the book is available on Amazon. And also they can follow me on Instagram at Ask Anita Astley. And they can go to my website, askanitaastley.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anita. That was absolutely, I think that's got a lot of very handy, very practical tips that people can start to get their New Year's off and start unfucking their lives and their relationships. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome back to my favourite part of the show. Oh, how I have missed diving into your sordid dilemmas, stories, kinks and 
gossip. <laughs> Last time I asked you what New Year's resolutions you would be making in the bedroom department. Are you thinking of trying a new kink? Asking a partner to try one with you? Maybe you're just looking to let your freak flag fly. Hopefully we can get some guests in to help you take the leap into the unknown. Let's see what we've got. So Shayla on Twitter, she slid into my DMs to say, I am hoping to be more dominant in the bedroom. I've read a lot, but I'm still nervous about just doing it. I totally get that, Shay. I know you can research and research. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can read all the articles. You can do all the things. But it's not until you've taken that first step into the unknown to find out what you're really doing. And Look, you can go back and listen to loads of great episodes. We've had so many great dominatrixes on. But honestly, it's 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 just about you. You're the only one who can do it. If it helps, I'm going to give myself a quick plug here, but I'm going to start doing dominatrix lessons. They're going to be fun, little easy things you can do to help calm your nerves and get a bit more confident. So if you want to know more about that, hit me up. Anton on Instagram, he says, I am really hoping to break my pegging cherry. Any tips? Yes, Anton, lube, lubricant and lots of it. Do not hesitate to get that stuff out. And don't worry, we will be having a guest chatting about all things anal very soon. How exciting. Uh, Pup Boy, also on Twitter, they said, I really want to start telling new partners about my fetishes. I'd love to know how I can get them to understand more and, excuse the pun, take the lead. Very good there, Pup Boy. I see what you did. <laughs> So first of all, when I read about new people wanting to tell their new partners about their fetishes or if they just want to, you know, start exploring things, we always say you can use the my friend excuse. You know, oh, my friend um, has a foot fetish. How do you feel about that? My friend is thinking about, you know, coming out. What do you reckon? That's always a nice little way to ease someone in and, and just to gauge someone's reactions. But also... You've got this podcast. We've had so many great kink and fetish experts on and we've got even more in the new year. So maybe you can listen together, put it on in a car ride, you know, start seeing what they think of someone when they start talking about their fetishes. And of course, we've always got more coming up. Oh, we've got so many great guests lined up for you. I'm sure they're going to be able to give you such great advice. Now, if you didn't know, I am always looking for your sexy stories, saucy encounters and anyone who wants to be a guest and chat about your own speciality. Just get in touch. Do you command a kink? Have you got a favourite fetish? We want to hear from makers, shakers and practitioners. Next week, we're going to be embracing the power of the pussy. So my question is... <laughs> if your pussy or your penis could have one superpower... What would it be? I know, we're going out there. Hey, it's a new year. I'm going to go all out. Tell me what your genital superpower would be <laughs> whilst I still have a job. <laughs> 
You can slide into my DMs. Just look out for Miranda Kane on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram or email smutdrop at metro.co.uk. I've been Miranda Kane. Smutdrop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. If you're enjoying this sexy sojourn every week, and why wouldn't you, then please leave me a nice review. And in the meantime, I'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do. But if you do, then name it after me.